adopted that which were our substandards, we modified or we added these things to it, and we did it to give clarity to positions that we hold as a denomination so that anyone looking at our denomination considering becoming a member would have the benefit of knowing where we stand on particular things, right? So that's the function. They're not part of the original, right? And we didn't change, we didn't insert them into the original because we appreciate what the original has done, what the men did when they wrote that. And we aren't, we, we hesitate to do anything to it. It's a wonderful compendium of Bible truth. Nothing's been done before or after, in my opinion, that compares to it. So we hesitate to do anything. So what we do, we make sure you, you can see this is something added, right? So that you know we did this and then you, well, why did they do this? Then you look at it and see. And like I say, it was mainly just to give more clarity in this day and age, more transparency uh, of, um, of who we are and what we're about in given areas. Uh, so that's, um, I don't know, if, Bob, if that answers your question, but. No, this is the FBCNA, the Free Presbyterian Church of North America substandards. Now. I say no, I don't know what they have, I know they use the Westminster Confession, whether they have done anything formally as we have. They would agree, I think, with our positions that are stated there. I think they would be in agreement 100% with those. I don't think there's anything uh, that would, uh, I can't think of anything right offhand. If there's something in particular, we can talk about it, but uh, I don't know of anything in particular. But I don't know that they've done anything like we've done in formalizing it. Was it Dr. Cairns specifically brought in? Well, Dr. Cairns, along with some others, formulated the Book of Church Order and the substandard, so he certainly had a part. Uh, there were two or three others that were involved in that, that, that were doing it. And then the whole presbytery had the opportunity to read and then voted to adopt the, uh, the standards and the substandards that we, uh, that we have, including these things. And some of them are done along the way. If we hit something that we just say, hey, there's nothing here. We added, it was at the end, but we added a chapter. It's the chapter on the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some confessions that have a chapter on the Holy Spirit, but ours didn't. And so we added one. So that's added as well, but it was added as a chapter. Uh, we'll get to that uh, in time, Lord willing. Okay? Any other questions? Good. Good. All right. So let's go to 26 now. Chapter 26, which oh, my materials is page 649. It's where it starts. Title of the chapter of the Communion of Saints. Now, obviously, we, we have to understand what saints are, 
I mean, communion of the saints, if we're going to get some appreciation for what this chapter is trying to deal with, we've got to understand who the saints are. And the saints are the people we talked about in chapter 25. Right? When we started with the invisible church and the visible church, well, the saints, for your and my purposes, would be the visible church. Right? Only the Lord knows the invisible church. But for us, the visible church. So, again, you can see this chapter is really tying in to the last chapter. And part of the functioning of the church. Now, the last chapter we dealt somewhat more with the local body. It, it, it covered the greater when you're talking about the visible and invisible church. But then when we talked about how does it function, what makes it more or less pure, more or less visible, those things. Um, we, we were dealing in large part with the local church. Now, every local church would fall under that. But you've got that. So now we've got this communion of saints, and the saints here obviously impacts the local church, this communion. But communion of not the saints in my church, it's communion of saints. So we're going to be looking at, considering, talking about, and we need to keep this in somewhat the perspective, we're talking about the communion you have with believers in the ABC church down the road. Every believer in Greenville. You've got a type of communion with them. Every believer in South Carolina, in the U.S., in the world, right? This communion, and we'll see why we're going to talk about this, and, and it'll make sense when we get into it. But this communion is, um, is something that's extremely important. It's something that's difficult. It's something that you have to work at. It's not something that happens automatically just because you're saved. Right? But we'll, we'll talk about these things as we go along. Now, the first question I have, not in the book, but the first question that I want us to deal with, or the first thing, what does the word communion mean? Now, if anybody's got their phone and want to look up a definition real quick and see what whoever does the dictionary for, the, uh, for, for what's on your iPhone, I'd be curious to know what it says. But before that, y'all just tell me what you think. We're, we're going to have communion. Now, we're not talking about the term that's used for what we're going to be observing. But in observing communion, this sacrament, there certainly better be communion in the sense that we are talking about. Okay? So, what do you think? Just give me, Garth. Okay? So, fellowship. Okay? Fellowship, good. Anything else? Be joined together, union, communion. 
Okay, uh, and, and we'll talk about the union aspect of it, but it's a, a coming together for whatever. Now, I'm just talking the word generally right now. Communion, you can have communion in a lot of areas a lot of different ways. We're going to be talking about it in relation to the saints, so it's going to be limited in scope there. But fellowship, we've got a coming together, uh, sharing, Bobby? Sharing, okay, good. Chris, do you have something? Same? Okay, good, thank y'all. All right, so a partaking, um, being a partner in, it can be sharing, it can be sharing thoughts, it can be sharing uh, goods, material things, it can be sharing um, benefits. Um, so there's a lot of things, it's a word, it's a word we use in the church a good bit. But sometimes we, I, I dare say, we're not really sure what it is. Uh, sometimes words that we use are like that. And uh, we want to be careful because it's extremely important. It's important enough that Christ made it a sacrament for us to observe that embodies this activity of communion. So we want to make sure that as we look at this, and scripture uses the word communion not very much, a few times. Now, communing, they communed, there are more of those, but the word communion, I forget how many, but it's less than 10, I think. Um, so there's, it's not you, but fellowship, partaking, and they, they spoke one with another. There are a lot of aspects of communion that we can see in these other words. And it's important, again, that as we read God's word, that we, we know, okay, yeah, that's, that's communion. That's an act of communion. That's, that's part of what ought to be happening here. So communion, and again, fellowship, that, that word's used a good bit. Uh, being a partner in, in something, it can, can be something like that. So before I read the first paragraph there on page 650, I want to look at the first question on page 651, and we've already uh, Don's already kind of touched on this. In order to have communion, what's, what's got to happen first? Before you can have communion, you've got to have union. There's got to be a union. You're not going to have communion without a union, right? There's got to be this um, relationship and, and this relationship gives rise to some form of generally mutual sharing. It's not necessarily equal, okay? And, and as we look at this, it's going to be wonderful to see we're having communion with Christ, and he's provided all the benefits. 
Our sharing is not us imparting to him anything other than our worship, our praise. All right? What we do here today, apart from this, should be communion. As we sit here in our worship services, there ought to be communion, a sharing, a benefit to our own good. So uh, this, this coming together, I have uh, put down a coming together of two or more to accomplish a desired result or an intended result. But there is a union that must first take place. Then, next question, well, what does it mean to be in union with someone? Right? So, we've got to have a union. Well, what does a union look like? How would you describe a union? Because, again, it's what we're, we talk about it. We read it in Scripture. We're in union with Christ. So, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm joined to him. Okay? That's true. What else? Anything? Thoughts? Rebecca? Good. Yeah, good. So it's a, it's a coming together to function as one. A union, all right? If you join two things, you make them as one. Once you join them, now, we've got to be very careful because some people go to the extreme and when we come in union with Christ, they want to make us assuming deity or Christ assuming humanity that he didn't assume other than when he, other than in the incarnation. So we have to be careful, but there is this coming together to accomplish something. So good, the marriage relationship, and we'll see that. That's that's scripturally, that's the the uh, example of this union. All right? There are two. That's certainly one of them, and the other one comes out of it. All right. And and the other thing here is. In one sense, it's joining together to, to enjoy and share in the mutual benefits that results from that coming together, right? So when, using the, the example, the marriage, Rebecca mentioned, when a, a man and woman come together, now they mutually share their strengths, right? One may help here. The other may be good here. But those they're working together for the good of both. Right? And they're using their gifts and their strengths. And it may be 
spiritually. Hopefully it is. Each, not that one is more spiritual than the other. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it may depend on what's going on in your life that how spiritual you seem to be. And that may be when the other comes along and says, let's, let's slow down here. Let's pray about this. Let's ask God what he thinks about this. Let's ask for direction. All right? So that's communion. That's what's happening with this. All right? So communion, there's got to be a union. Union, there's got to be a coming together. All right? A joining and again, marriage relationship being a wonderful example of that. All right. Let's, let's take a look at our first paragraph now. And, and you're going to see some of the things we've just talked about. You're going to see uh, that. Before I read that, let me mention in, in uh, the footnotes number one, the, the, the uh, reference of 1 John 1, 3 is correct. But the verse that's there is John 1, 3. So you just need to make note that it's John, it's 1 John 1, 3, not John. Just didn't catch that one. Um, so, and if you catch any others as you're going through, please let me know. But 1 John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship. There's Garth's word that we mentioned. We have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with this, the, his son, Jesus Christ, right? So you can see how 1 John 1, 3 makes the point you will after we read the paragraph. All right, so let's read paragraph 1, 26.1. I'm on page 650. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, and I'm not sure why they worded it that way, to be perfectly honest, because all saints are united. Right? This would almost say, well, maybe there's some saints that aren't united to Jesus Christ as their head. Well, there might be, depending on what saint the Roman Catholic Church has created. Uh, those may not be, although I think a lot of them, most of them would be. But all saints that are united, so there's our union we've talked about, that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit, and by faith, have fellowship, have communion with him in his graces. All right? So we've got this union coming together for the mutual benefit. And what are the mutual, what, what are the benefits that start flowing? Have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. All of those things, at least some of them, depending on how the Lord's leading you, but one or more of those ought to be in your mind today when you come to the table. That's what this table's in large part all about. Remember, to remind us, all right, to remind us of the graces, the sufferings, the death, the resurrection, and glory, and you and I 
have a part in it. We are in Christ. We are with Christ in his sufferings. It's why you and I enjoy forgiveness of sin. Because we are made partakers of his sufferings and of his death and his resurrection. Right? Fellowship with him in his gracious sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Right? Communion with each other in our gifts and graces. What we bring here today. You're singing. You're praying. Whether it's silently or publicly. The pre-service prayer meeting. Just in here. And when the worship time starts, participating. Right? That's all part of it. Being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. And here's a part that maybe we don't think about that much. And are obliged. You don't have the option of using these gifts. You're obligated. You're obligated. And are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as to conduce, or to lead to, uh, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man, both in the physical and spiritual realms. An obligation. So what can I do with what the Lord has blessed me with to help, to be of benefit. You know, we have people who play musical instruments. God's given them a gift, and they're using it for that. We have people that sing in the choir. They're using gifts. It's their obligation to the extent they have the opportunity Okay, and you can keep going. People teach. We have people in other classes teaching. We have people that help. We have people that play the piano for the little kids. and All kinds of things. We have people who go to generations and go to the, do the Bible club. We have people that help in VBS. We have people that help in camp. And on, you, you just keep going. We have fellowship times down here. We have people who prepare food. It's a gift. You would starve if you depended on me. Okay? I can make a very good bowl of cereal. All right? Beyond that, my musical instruments playing the radio. So that's about it. But the good thing is, there are people that God has given gifts to. And so they use them. That's what we're doing here. 
If no one, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to do it. Would you have a church? No. We have a man whom God's provided for us, who's has the gift of preaching. We didn't have that. It gets tough. It gets hard. So again, we use the gifts we're obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as that leads to the mutual good, both inward and outward, of both. Let's take a look quickly at the, um, well, however long it takes, but let's, let's look at some of these proof texts. I've already read to you 1 John 1, 3, uh, the fellowship. And, and the fellowship, we, we are telling you these things so that we can have fellowship together, so that you know what we know, so your heart's blessed and we can talk about it and we, we can be thankful and we can love one another in the Lord for what he's done and how he's brought us together. Why? Because the end goal here is, yes, we want to have fellowship with you, but we all have to have fellowship with the Father. Not going to be much fellowship here if there's not fellowship here. Right? If this doesn't communion the communion that takes place at the communion table. If that means nothing to you, you're not going to get much out of fellowship with one another, I doubt. Certainly, it won't be as rich and sweet as it is when it is led by the Spirit, right? Things we've already looked at with the church. So don't don't divorce this chapter from the last because there's a lot of connection there uh, in what's taking place. Ephesians 3, there, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And again, you, you see the necessity of the, the work of the spirit that, that this communion and union has to be from above. That Christ may dwell, dwell, there's this commune, right? That's another. So you start looking at these words. And, wait a minute, that, that's communion. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Here's the communion of the saints together. Your understanding and you see what's, you're going to see at the end here uh, what's happening. What is the breadth and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That ye may know, the know the love of Christ is a, is a knowledge there, is a collective knowledge. It's not just personal. It, it would be personal, but it's that you may all know. The, the, the verse here that the Lord would grant you, all of you, 
and that you would, all of you would know the love of Christ, well, which passeth knowledge, etc. Um, let me come down to, well, let me hold that one. I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, uh, we see, hath quickened us together with Christ, right? Hath raised us up together and made us sit together, right? Here are words of communion in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The union connected us to Christ, and then what happens? The benefits that flow from it. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, be united to him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the communion of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So there's a likeness. So that I'm participating. I'm not bearing the sin. I didn't die physically. Christ bore it all. But by being, don't ask me to, to, to explain it because I can't. And I'm not sure there's a lot of people that can. How it is that God unites me to Christ such that what Christ has done is attributed to me. In Christ, my sin has been paid for. But I didn't pay for my sin. Christ did. But Christ paid for my sin as my head, my federal head, the second Adam. There's a representative aspect here that we're going to, again, consider some more of as we go along. But it's a mysterious aspect to it that you start, why does God, why did God love me? I don't know why God loved you other than because he loved you. That's the way he explained it. I loved you because I loved you. That's the only explanation you get. But it's the only explanation you need because of what you know about God, right? So joining us to Christ, why? I don't know. I'm just thankful for those who, upon whom he bestowed his love, for God so loved the world that he provided his son to be able to bring about a union where you and I benefit with eternal life. Marvelous, wonderful, communion. Communion, communion with Christ, right? We'll, we'll get to those. Romans 6, 5, and 6. Again, a lot of these verses you know. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Okay, there's some of what we were just talking about. 
we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's the only assurance you have of being in heaven is if what Christ did, if, if it doesn't atone for your sin, both in his death and if you weren't brought with him out of death, what good if you remain in death, eternal death, The benefit's not there. But that's not the case. Again, the, the depth of these things, you, you can just, you, you, you sit there and you, you just wonder. Knowing this, that our old man, what we were in the first Adam, okay, that's the old man, the sinner, but what we were in the first Adam. That the old man is crucified with him. Verses, you surely, you, you know, we, we know that um, we, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, right? The Spirit brings new life right the death the, the resurrection is a, is a new life the second Adam now and so the old things are passed away why because the old man died in Christ all things have what become new why because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus it's a whole different story it's why we can talk about and we can believe that sin no longer has dominion over you because the old man died the old man that sin had dominion over is gone Now, we still have the old nature we have to contend with. But the end result is entirely different. Communion with Christ. Second Timothy, if we, if we suffer, the idea of suffer here is to persevere, to endure. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Communion, communion in heaven as well. Communion is not just an earthly thing. We're going to be united to Christ forever. Doesn't change when you get to heaven. We are the bride of Christ. That union doesn't end. We talked about the earthly in our vow that we take till death do us part. Because in glory, 
The bride is the bride of Christ. So, a lot of mystery, a lot of things that all we know is the, 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 the language of Scripture that we have, some of it, we then add what we feel like that means, okay? And that's fine. That's between you and the Spirit of God. As long as you're not believing heresy, you're fine. And then this being united to one another in love, they have communion each other's gifts and graces. One, uh, this Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And, and Colossians 2, 19 at the bottom. Very much the same thought. And, and here, is, this is very important. All right, but speaking the truth in love, and, and you can go back and read the couple of verses before, but, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. All right, so we've got the communion, the saints, right? Communion of saints, and here's what's happening. We're growing up. We are maturing. We are being fitly framed together, whichever illustration you want, we're learning more and more to be subservient to the head, to love the head, and in turn, how that affects what we do with one another. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, being made conformable to him, from whom the whole body, don't miss that. That's all the saints. That's the people in the church down the street that know the Lord. That's the people in the next town over. That's all God's people. All right? That from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. The head... Right? Here's your image. Christ is taking all of us and making us fit together. And he's inserting you to be a ligament. He's inserting me to be a toenail. He's inserting somebody else to be skin. He's framing it together. He's making a beautiful bride. Right? That's what's happening here. That's what's happening. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, again, everybody's doing their part, and the Spirit of God is helping it. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of what? Of who? Unto the edifying of itself in love we talked about a lot about love in the last chapter and how and you, you, again you back away from this right and, and look at what it's saying God's taking all his saints and, and they work together so that what the world sees down here hopefully is a beautiful working church 
not a main church, not a sick church, not a deficient church. Oh, it doesn't mean every local congregation enjoys all of the same benefits as every other local congregation. But there should be enough of this communion that if somebody walks in the front door and they're with us for a few Sundays, they come to see and understand. There's a communion here. There is a people who enjoy and mutually benefit one another because they're being benefited by God. That's what the communion of the saints should look like and be like. So, again, if you go back to the last chapter, you see some of those things in what we talked about. And we'll keep going with this. And again, we, we may be repeating some of what we talked about last chapter. But this is, this is nitty-gritty. This is what it ought to look like. It's what you ought to enjoy and I should enjoy. And we have to understand why. And the reason the Lord said do this in remembrance of me is if you aren't remembering and benefiting from what this table represents, not going to be much communion of saints at all. So, the Lord help us. We'll, uh, we'll pick up there. And there, again, there, the chapters are out there. The books, if you need a notebook, feel free to take the notebook too. There's some out there. and We can always replenish. If it's the last one, take it if you need it. We'll put more. We just don't stick a whole lot of them out there to take up room. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, again, we are thankful to you for all you've done for us. We are so unworthy, but you loved us anyway. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't understand why, and we don't have to. But may it be that our worship here today would, in some small measure, as much as possible by the help of the Spirit, human flesh can do, may our worship here today reflect something of our love for thee, our praise and thanksgiving for all you've done for us. Lord, we, we look to thee, we, we desire thy presence with us in the help of thy spirit throughout this day. We'll thank you for it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.